Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. If this is your first time on the podcast, then I graciously welcome you and hope that you enjoy. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, then by all means, once it is done, check out the other episodes. They are great as well, if I do say so myself. Um, the uh, episode this week is a solo episode. I think the third one this year from memory. Uh, and wow, what a crazy few days it has been, both on field and off of it. We'll get into that in a second. But basically, dear listener, in case you don't know, each episode is structured as such. Section one, go over the top two highlights, top two lowlights of the weekend. Section two, we discuss the major talking points. And then section three, preview the round to come. So without further ado, starting off with a major positive, and that is the Richmond Tigers. It has to be. Seven goals down at the MCG against a team that hasn't won at the MCG in eight years. Season is on the line. Carlton the night before left the door, graciously left the door, open for them. And Richmond waltzed on through. It was a, an epic comeback that I did not see coming. I suspect most Richmond supporters didn't see coming, the pessimistic lot that they are. And it was a great comeback, especially when you consider the fact that this was not against just your stock standard you know, opposition. This is a premiership contender who had a point to prove about winning at the MCG and was seven goals up in the third quarter. Now, granted, how Richmond got themselves 42 points behind in the third quarter is going to be a major headache for Damian Hardwick. But nevertheless, one of the games of the year and easily, easily one of the best comebacks I have ever seen and one of the best comebacks in Richmond's history. The next highlight for me is a bit trickier to choose. Lots of options I can choose from. Lots of options I can choose from. Before the last few days, the Crows have had Adelaide were shaping up as the obvious next highlight. But in all good consciousness, I cannot, cannot put the Crows on the list of highlights after the last few days that the club has had. So instead, I'm going to go with the Melbourne Football Club to go over to Perth. Both teams struggling for form. Important game, critical game. Whoever lost, their top four hopes would be in dire straits. And to out-defend one of the best defences in the competition, restrict Fremantle to, I believe, their lowest score of the season, uh, pick one of their lowest ever scores at that stadium, possibly their second ever lowest score at that stadium, their lowest one being in 2019-2719 against the Eagles in a lopsided derby, to keep the opposition to such a low score is without a shadow of a doubt the greatest Melbourne performance this year. 
And they've had some great performances, round one against the Dogs. Who could forget the 10-goal-plus win against Brisbane just a few weeks ago? But this to win over on hostile territory, big game, big occasion, Friday night football, Fremantle, point to prove. They haven't played a lot of Friday night football over the last few years, right? I believe that was only their third game of Friday night football since 2016, and with good reason. And they came out and they crushed them. That, as an opposition supporter who has a team that is currently in top four calculations, that performance was very, very scary. Because if you remember, it was around this time last year, actually it was this time last year exactly, that Melbourne kick-started their run to the Premiership. Had an iffy 10 weeks before that. And then round 20, round 21, Flawless ever since. Could it happen again? Who knows? Still three games to go, and the Ds have a very difficult run home, but they've gotten themselves off on the best possible foot for that difficult run home. As for the lowlights, more so off the field, which I will get to in a second. However, with that being said, I do think that I should also mention a couple of teams on field whose performances were terrible, nothing short of shocking. David King, who I have not agreed with much this year, called the Carlton loss to Adelaide arrogant. And I fully agree with that. He was speculating about whether or not they had a look at the ladder beforehand, got it in the head that, oh, they're only playing the Crows, so it's okay. You know, it'll be all right. You know, Adelaide, they're a bottom four team. It'll be okay. Things will work themselves out. And they lose by five goals, just under five goals. They still haven't uh, won at the Adelaide Oval, the Blues, I don't think. Consider that the last time they won in Adelaide was 2013, back when they were playing at the other stadium. That's how long it's been. Think about how many head coaches they've had in that time, Carlton, and none of them have been able to break through for a win at the Adelaide Oval. Started at the selection table, dropping one of their best players for that game. And then just the shambolic attitude to that contest, the, 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 the half the, the, the half-attempted tackles, the broken tackles, the terrible disposals. Where was the effort? The terrible defending. It looked like Carlton of last year with how easy it was for Adelaide to find open men inside forward 50. Heck, with how much the Crows players had space, I reckon I could have hit up a target inside 50. And I haven't had a kick of the football, except for with my dad, in the last three years. How on earth Carlton can call themselves professional footballers after that performance? I do not know. Another on-field performance was thinking about criticising Brisbane, but instead I'm going to go for Greater Western Sydney. That loss lacked the one thing that for most of this year, up until very recently, the Giants had tons of. Despite the amount of injuries, despite their lowly position on the ladder, despite their coach being kicked out, 
And that was hard. For the first five weeks, five or six weeks of Mark McVeigh's coaching tenure at the Giants as head coach, they, they had plenty of heart. They had heaps of heart. What happened? I don't know what's happened. Mark McVeigh said it's like the players have checked out. It's even worse than that. It's like they've, it's like they've gone on holiday already. It's like, they've, it's like they've given up. It's like they don't want to play or wear that jumper anymore. I know that I'm speaking as an Essendon supporter, so maybe I'm a bit biased. But surely the Giants are the most disappointing team of the year. I mean, surely to go from a semi-final performance off the back of a stirring win the week before against the Swans and a decent performance against the Cats in that semi-final too, may I mention, to then finish most likely unless something miraculous happens in the next three weeks inside the bottom four is baffling to me. As, 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 as a neutral supporter, I don't know what's happened to the club. Yeah, they've had injuries, but they've had injuries before that in years gone by. They made the grand final. They made finals and they won finals with massive injury lists, with players leaving. Last year, they made the semifinal without their most dangerous forward of the previous two years. And then they lose against a team that they have a pretty good record against recently in the Sydney Swans and at least always play competitively against the Swans, even if they don't win. And they lose by 12 goals, only kick five goals in the entire game. It was a beautiful sunny day. If you kick just five goals, beautiful sunshine, not, you know, dew, maybe a little bit of dew on the grass, but no rain, no no super windy weather affecting goal kicking, none of that. You kick five goals nine in those conditions, that is a shambolic effort. And dare I say, and this is saying a lot, considering the losses that they've had in the last three or four weeks, but that is the worst GWS performance since the 2019 grand final. Putting that big call out there the worst loss since the 2019 Grand Final. Now, I do want to mention as well the off-field negatives, which I will get to more in depth a little bit later on, particularly one of them. I thought that the number one negative this week was clearly going to be Adam Saad. And the disgusting, Islamophobic slur used against him, which ruined what was a great night for the Crows, but more so was a direct attack on someone just doing their job, just minding their business. If you are the kind of person who feels the need to just Hurl abuse at someone who's just doing their job. Hurl Islamophobic abuse, racist abuse, whatever it is, whether it's in person or online at someone. Why? Why do you feel the need to do that? I don't understand you as a human being, why you feel the need to do that in 2022. One would think 
naturally that in the 2020s, we would be as a society more progressive than we were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years ago. But clearly, even with the internet, maybe because partially with the internet, with the various echo chambers it has, there are people whose mindsets are still, are still stuck. A hundred years ago, when it was socially acceptable to use slurs, it was socially acceptable to judge people for the color of their skin or their religion or their gender, whatever. But we don't live in the 1920s anymore. We live in the 2020s. So maybe it's time that you start acting and start behaving like a functioning member of society in the 2020s, which to me means one thing and one thing only. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. You might be thinking that's hard to do. I don't, I've been on this earth for almost 22 years. Haven't used an Islamophobic slur once. Haven't used a racial slur. Haven't used an anti-Semitic joke or slur. Turns out it's pretty easy. So I thought that that was going to be the only off-field thing. Only off-field negative. And then the situation with Eddie Betts, more specifically, with the Crows training camp, that infamous training camp that completely dissolved any chance, any, any, any force that the Crows were. And, and it's, it's difficult to think now, right? It's difficult to imagine now with how bad the Crows have been the last three years, right? Wooden Spooders in 2020, big losses in 2021, big losses this year, another bottom six finish in three years in a row. It's difficult to remember how good they were. They were amazing. 2015, 2016, 2017, to go to top of the ladder, minor premiers, and be favorites for the grand final and leading that grand final midway through the second quarter, never mind what happened after that, to get to that point after suffering through the, the mental uh the mental torture of your coach being murdered, being killed in 2015, to do that so soon after that happened. I grew up hating the Crows. As an Essendon supporter, I hated them because whenever we played them, they would always smash us. But the way that they responded to such a tragic and horrible thing happening to that club and that playing group. 2015, 2016, 2017, honestly, they were starting to win me over. Not to the point where I'd be a fan, God no. But I had a massive amount of respect for them. Dare I say, I didn't hate them anymore. And then the training camp happens. And the club denies it, denies anything that's bad that's happening. The whole fiasco with, with the organization that ran it. And it's just, look, I'm not going to get into it because people have gotten in trouble. 
before for getting into it. But if you have the opportunity, and I will be talking about some of the allegations that Eddie Betts have made that have been publicized over the last little bit. If you don't know what I am talking about, first off, welcome from under the rock from which you just came. The last few years have been kind of crazy. Good to have you back. I would recommend you look at what Eddie Betts has said. Look at what has been reported about it because it was crazy and it's reared its ugly head once again. Now, before I get into the main talking points, there is a player that I want to mention who had a horrific injury against Collingwood the week before, Mason Redmond. For me, I normally don't do this. First time I'm doing this, actually, the entire season. But do you know what? My podcast, I get to do what I want. Mason Redmond, the player of the week for me, and I'm not just saying that as an Essendon supporter, 97% disposal efficiency, something like 32 disposals. 97%. As Matthew Lloyd said, he probably had one kick that didn't go to his target. 30, 30 plus disposals, 97% efficiency, and kicked one of his trademark running goals where he did the horn celebration. I mean, if he doesn't win our best and fairest this year, then honestly, I don't know what they're doing at that football club. Well, I don't know what they're doing at that football club 90% of the time anyways, but still, he should be at least inside the top three this year comfortably. Now, as for the main talking points, let's get straight in to what Eddie Betts has said. So Eddie Betts come out last couple of days, his book, his autobiography, uh, which I'm really excited to read, really excited to read. And there's been a lot of things talked about in the AFL media landscape related to what Betts talks about in the book regarding the camp fiasco. And some of the things that were yelled at him, he touches upon a little bit, are so repulsive, and I'm not going to mention them here. I would recommend you, dear listener, when you get the opportunity to look up what he said, was said to him and said and yelled out loud in front of his teammates, things that he told people, individuals in confidence that were then yelled out in front of everyone else by those individuals. I would recommend you read what he said and listen to what he said because it is horrible. But for me, this is not just about the camp. For me, it's a major negative about the Crows whose response today has seemingly been, you know, the stock standard apology as well as, oh, we hope that Eddie, you know, we hope that Eddie Betts moves on which just shows a massive, massive fundamental misunderstanding of grief and of trauma when you go through something traumatic, when you go through something and you have a bit of PTSD, which I'm not not saying that Eddie Betts has, I don't know Eddie Betts, but if he does, then that is a massive misunderstanding. You can't put a timeline on that. 
you can't put a timeline on that just because the club has moved on, right, which I'm not entirely sure they have. But just because the club has moved on doesn't mean that specific players involved have moved on. That's ridiculous. There are things that people suffer through, right, one-time events that, that affect them for the rest of their lives. How can you say to someone, who suffered through something traumatic just a few years later. Oh, why, you know, just get over it. It was a few years ago. You know, we hope that you get over it soon. Hope that you get over it soon. Screw you. Who are you to say that? That is terrible. You know what else is terrible? It feels like I was having a chat to someone about this earlier today. You know what she said to me when I, when I mentioned that that's what Eddie Bet said? You know what she mentioned to me? She mentioned yet another case of a white guy, right? Because it's the club's uh, current member CEO or president, I never remember his position. It was club president or CEO who said this. It's another example of a white guy basically telling a, an indigenous person that their experiences and their trauma is invalidated. You know, just, just get over it. It was a few years ago. That is a shambolic response. As for the AFL Players Association making a statement saying, we didn't know about this, we didn't know about this, it's new information, or isn't it terrible? Dear listener, listen to what Caroline Wilson had to say about that. Basically, right, on Footy Classified, I would recommend you watch the full clip, but TLDR, she talked about actually confirming back a few years ago when this whole thing was fresh, talking with a Crows player who said that there were things that Eddie Betts talked about in terms of Indigenous misappropriation that the AFL Players Association has come out today and said, oh, this is new information. Caroline Wilson said that she notified the Players Association about it years ago. And if that is the case, then there has been something horribly wrong that has gone horribly wrong. At best, it is the Players Association carelessly and ridiculously forgetting that this happened. At worst, which I don't even want to get into because that's a whole other can of worms, it, 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 it stinks to me, this entire situation with the Players Association with the Crows, how their response, it is a shambolic situation. And I feel most sorry for the players and I feel most sorry for Eddie Betts because he copped racism from fans. Never forget that one Port supporter who threw a banana at him at the Adelaide Oval. Just one example, he copped racism from fans he had taylor walker an ex-teammate of his right say a racist thing at a sample game and then it comes out the fact that this indigenous mis uh, misappropriation of culture happens among other horrible personal things that you tell people in confidence so for me everyone involved in this situation, except for the players, have to, and I mean have to, take blame for what happened. They have to. 
that like none of this oh we didn't know about this we didn't know about oh it's so tragic it's so terrible none of that right and the afl's come out and said sorry and i think the crows have come out and said yeah we're sorry too it's ridiculous a terrible situation and my heart goes out to you eddie betts one of my favorite players of all time never forget meeting you in abu dhabi in 2011 when you came over with the blues it was amazing to meet you and i'm still starstruck to this day over a decade later now moving from on field to off of it sorry other way around off field to on it the collingwood magpies 10 in a row are they legit people started thinking what they're third on the ladder now they play the second place demons i'm still not convinced about collingwood right don't get me wrong an amazing season now the most ever wins in a season by any club by less than two goals in the history of the competition, stretching back to 1897. That is an amazing statistic. Ten wins in a row. Mixture of beating really, really good teams, Melbourne, Fremantle, and not so very good teams, North Melbourne, etc. Sorry, North Melbourne supporters to point you out, but you know. I'm still torn about Collingwood. Because 10 in a row is nothing to shake a stick at. Nothing at all. But with that being said, whenever you win a game by a goal or less, you are extremely, extremely, extremely lucky. When you win a game by two goals or less, you're slightly less lucky, but you're still pretty lucky. The ball bounces a couple of different ways. Who knows? Result could be different. And for me, I look at that percentage and Collingwood's percentage is like something like hovering around the 108% mark. Everyone else is 115, 120, 125, 130%. If Collingwood beat Melbourne, then for me, they are the real deal. If they beat Melbourne, and it's a big if, Melbourne seem to have rediscovered some form. They're coming off a great win in the West. Collingwood, a couple of uh, injury problems. Taylor Adams out for the rest of the home and away season, I believe. Coming up against the Melbourne team, Ben Brown comes back in, arguably their best forward. Interesting stat I heard during the week as well from someone at work. Apparently, Bailey Fritz is one of just two players to have kicked a goal in every single game this year, which is an amazing stat. Now, I don't know where he heard that stat from, some football show on a local radio station. I'm not sure which one. That's a pretty incredible statistic. Um, It'll be interesting to see if he can continue that or not. He has a habit of stepping up in big games, um, and somebody tells me that he is set to tear the MCG apart tomorrow night. Um, But we'll get to that later. We will get to that later. Another big talking point. Big retirements, especially out west, of two legends of the game. One of them playing his 
uh, I believe, breaking the record recently for the amount of games played by a Fremantle player. Uh, or if he hasn't done that yet, he'll do so very soon. The player who I thought could easily play on till next year, but it seems to me like he wants to retire on a, on, on a high note in terms of his body's physicality, which is completely fair enough, which is completely fair enough. I'm just speculating with that, of course. He's also a player who has played in out of the, I remember a stat on Twitter, which blew my mind, out of every single Fremantle jumper worn in their history, he, he wore like all but one of them or two of them, which is incredible considering how many Indigenous jumpers they wore, how many class jumpers they wore, home jumpers, away jumpers. He wore them all by like one, but one or two. I'm, of course, talking about the evergreen David Mundy set to announce his retirement come the end of the year. And I'm also talking about the other half of the biggest trade in this century. Chris Judd moving from the West to a big Melbourne club, supposed to take that Melbourne club to a premiership. And don't get me wrong, he did everything he could to get Carlton over the line. Shame he didn't have the teammates to go with him. However, I think the Eagles, and it's a big discussion, right? Carlton and West Coast, they're saying on Footy Classified who won that trade. And, and I think Ross Lyon was saying there was a draw, which I disagree with. Don't get me wrong. A Brownlow medal and numerous finals appearances, a win in the final in 2011, it's pretty amazing for Carlton considering how terrible they were before Chris Judd got there and how terrible they've been since he's left. But for me, it's got to be Josh Kennedy of the West Coast Eagles. Got to be the Eagles who won that trade. Without him, they don't make the 2015 grand final. Without him, they don't make the 2018 grand final. They don't win it. He kicks three goals in the game, including a critical one at the start of the fourth quarter after the Magpies got a run on. At the start of the at the start of that quarter, that pegged the Eagles back, kept the Eagles in it. Without him, they don't win the premiership in 2018. Collingwood would have a 17th premiership. Quel horror, as they say in French, right? What a horror. It's got to be, I'm sorry, Carlton fans. Don't get me wrong. Chris Judd was great for you guys, but it's without a shadow of a doubt. Josh Kennedy, for me, absolutely won that trade. Um, big, big, big week for the Western Australian teams. Justin Longnew has come out and, and you know, said that he tried to motivate his teammates to, to do it for David Mundy, you know, do it for David. Will they, though? Let's get into the tips for round 21. And it starts on a massive Friday night contest, Melbourne versus Collingwood. A couple of big team-related news uh, in terms of who's playing and who is not playing in this game. Ben Brown in for the Magpies for Collingwood. Brody Meyer check in. So a couple of handy additions to each team's respective forward lines. But for me, the main thing is Adams, 
out. And Bianco also admitted, which is interesting because I thought he'd actually been doing very, very well, um, the young man, in recent weeks. Not that I've been watching Collingwood games religiously enough to, you know, properly form an opinion of him, but from what I've seen, he's done very, very well. So the fact that they've dropped him is kind of amusing to me. But for me, Taylor Adams being out, Ben Brown, arguably Melbourne's most dangerous forward when he's playing well back in Melbourne, on a bit of a roll, calling with a win streak is great. But the thing with win streaks is that eventually, sooner or later, you lose. And the more often you win, the bigger the win streak gets, the closer that loss is going to come eventually. And I am going with Melbourne in this one by 11 points. I'm going to this game. I'm hoping it's going to be a good contest. Because last Friday night was a snooze fest. Down to Tasmania. Now, it's Hawthorne versus Gold Coast at UTAS Stadium in Launceston. Hawthorne coming off a decent patch of form, but some big outs. Jess suspended will miss this game. Lewis will miss this game, possibly more than that. For me, those two outs, one of their best defenders and their best forward option out of the game, Gold Coast with so much to play for, even though they've never uh, they've never beaten the Hawks in Tasmania. I don't think they've even ever gotten a win in Tassie. I don't think they've even ever gotten close, truthfully. I'm tipping the Suns to win by about four goals. Could it be a nail-biter like the Gold Coast-West Coast game unexpectedly was? Absolutely. Could the Suns once again demolish the Hawks and win anywhere from eight goals to, to nine goals? Absolutely. Anything is possible. I'm sticking with a four-goal margin. On to uh, Mark McVeigh and James Hurd and the gang up against the Bombers in Sydney. Uh, Canelio back in for the Giants, a couple of other things, uh, Briggs and Riccardi. The Bombers, though, a couple of major major ins a uh, couple of big outs d'ambrosio out i think that's very unlucky i think it's been very very good this year and cordwell with a calf problem in comes parish in comes mcgrath now i was kind of surprised <laughs> to learn that in recent seasons since 2015 we have only beaten the giants twice once in 2018 and once in 2019 in the 2019 one, we were kind of lucky to win that. Truth be told, got a little bit of help from the umpires and the terrible goal review system that was in place at the time. It's been a long time since we buried the Giants. But you know what? The Giants are a rabble. The Bombers are going to eviscerate, obliterate uh, any word that ends in the suffix eight. Magnate, sure, doesn't work in this context, but it's going to work this time around. I'm tipping the Bombers to win by eight goals. Should I be that confident as an Essendon supporter? Absolutely not. That's a dangerous thing. That's a very dangerous thing. But you know what? For this weekend, this week alone, I'm going to say Essendon by eight goals. Now, this game is very difficult to pick, this next one. It's the Bulldogs and the Dockers at Marvel Stadium. Who to trust? The dogs whose form is hot and cold 
or the Dockers, who overall are the better team, have more to play for, but haven't won in a month. And their losses this year, Fremantle have been pretty comfortable. This is a problem for Fremantle, right? They don't have just they don't just have to win their last three games and hope the teams above them stumble. They have to win and build percentage because unlike a team like Brisbane or Sydney, who aside from the Brisbane game against Melbourne, of course, when those two teams lose, they tend to lose narrowly. When Fremantle lose, they tend to lose by four, five, six, seven goals. Those are heavy defeats, right? Almost lost by 50 points last Friday night for crying out loud. Keith Beck in for the Dogs. Trelaw in for the Dogs as well. The debut of Sam Darcy, son of Bulldog great Luke Darcy, uh, should be a fantastic uh, debut. And I'm really, really, really excited to see that. Um, shout, out to, shout out to his family, uh, who I know. I wish them all the best. Uh, should be a fascinating week. Uh is out, which I think is a little bit unlucky. I think he's, he's had a great season. Uh, Tucker and O'Driscoll in for the Dawkins. Look, there is no rhyme or reason why I'm picking this simply because, right, this, sorry, I'm only picking this because Fremantle, better season, better team on paper, more to play for. I'm tipping Fremantle to win by three points in one of the games of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another 52-52 draw, truth be told. Geelong versus St Kilda Stanley, back in for the Cats. Uh, Selwood managed uh, rowing concussion. Hope he's doing okay. This is the great thing about the Cats, right? You get to the stage of the year, sure, you want to continue to build momentum, but you can afford to rest your star players like Selwood. And if someone has a concussion, probably not have to worry about replacing him because their depth is that good, Geelong. As for the Saints, Howard in, Dougal Howard, important pillar for them. But the Saints haven't won in Geelong since... Uh, probably since David and Goliath had their fight. Like, it's been that long. It's been, honestly, that long. The last time the Saints won in Geelong, uh, the Black Plague was recent history. Uh, so for me, I'm tipping the Cats to win. I'm tipping the Cats to win this pretty comfortably. It's a difficult last three games for the Saints, and it's going to be a brutal start in that run. I'm tipping the Cats by six goals. Now, this one is probably the one that I have the most difficulty in justifying. Port Adelaide versus Richmond at the Adelaide Oval. Um, yeah, good in for the power, except the. <laughs> I'm looking at this and I'm trying to find, because I've already put my tips in, dear listen, I already put my tips in before I do these episodes, little through the banner podcast secret there for you. Um, I put my tips in before the podcast and I rarely have ever changed them because uh, I'm stubborn like that. The Tigers, right, Dylan Grimes is out, which for me cancels out Todd Marshall being out and Miss Georgiades being out. Port Adelaide, despite Marshall being out, I still think has one of the most dangerous spines, one of the most dangerous forward lines in the competition. Jeremy Finlayson is having a renaissance as Port Adelaide's main ruckman. And I suspect that because Richmond at the moment cannot play four quarters of football consistently good enough to win, 
I am tipping Port Adelaide to win this. Also because recent history, and recent history is a terrible thing to go off of, but the last five times they've played them, each other, Richmond, Port Adelaide, Richmond, Port Adelaide, Richmond, Port Adelaide's turn. It's going to be a great game of football. And Port's recent record against the Tigers at the Adelaide Oval is pretty good. Uh, we need to round the last three, the exception, obviously, the 2020 prelim final. Sorry, Port fans, to bring that up. Um, I'm tipping the power in another epic by a goal. Now on to Sunday's clashes. And it starts off with what on paper should be a 10-goal win to the Sydney Swans. They play North Melbourne in, uh, sorry, about saying Tasmania, in Melbourne. Uh, a host of North Melbourne players have been named as ins, which probably mean a couple of them will be unlucky to miss out. The Swans' Amadi has been omitted and a few players have been named on the extended bench. The fact that the Swans' VFL team currently sits, I think, third on the ladder, right, or about that point, which is, I believe, uh, just one position ahead of where their AFL team sits on the AFL ladder shows how deep their depth is. It is so rare that your uh, top league team matches where your reserves team is on the ladder, roughly, especially if both of them are top four teams, premiership contenders. With that being said, though, Sydney rarely smash teams that they should smash. They play down the competition quite a lot. Kangaroos have nothing to play for but pride, but always, always be careful of the team that has a pride to play for and nothing else. North Melbourne almost beat the Swans in Sydney earlier in the year, and that was when they were coming off of a 100-point-plus loss. I'm still tipping the Swans but only by four to five goals. And I say only because on paper they should win by 13 or 14. But I think four to five goals. If the Swans don't respect North Melbourne, though, watch out. It could be an upset. Brisbane versus Carlton. Carlton to go eight and three to now sit on the precipice of possibly missing finals is hilarious to me as someone who hates Carlton, but it would be so infuriating as a Carlton supporter because he were, right, thinking that the Blues were a, a chance, uh, a, a good chance of, of breaking the premiership drought. They were eight and three for crying out loud. And they, they won games like Collingwood has been winning over the last 10 weeks. They won games narrowly, but they still won games. But before last week, even in their form slump, the one thing that you could count on with Carlton is that they would actually, and I mean actually, demolish teams that they should demolish, which the Swans should take note on how to do. And then the Crows went ahead and did what they did. I've no doubt Carlton will come out breathing fire. Unfortunately for them, they played a team that gave up a seven-goal lead in the third quarter and lost. They will also come out breathing fire. Daniel Rich is in for the Lions. Starchevich is in for the Lions. couple of big ins. Uh, Newman with a knee injury out for the rest of the home and away season. Plowman dropped. Kennedy, concussion. 
Those are big outs for the Blues. And I'm sorry, but I'm looking at the list of ends and with the exception of Noons and Marchbank, I just can't see who can step up and lead Carlton to victory at the Gabba, which is a ground that they haven't won at in Yonks. I think probably since Justin Lepich was coach of the Brisbane Lions. With all that being said, Brisbane by 18 points or so. Wouldn't be surprised if it's more, wouldn't be surprised if it's less, but Brisbane should win. And now a little bit of an upset to finish off with. I'm tipping the Eagles to beat the Crows in Perth at Optus Stadium. Um, Before the news of Kennedy's impending retirement, this is the last Eagles home game. They play in Perth next week against the Dockers, Dockers home derby. This is the last Eagles home game. So before that, and before the 2018 camp, once again, read its ugly head, the Crows were, to me, looking like the obvious team to pick. Obviously, I'm going to pick the Crows. Why would I pick the Eagles? But truthfully, Eagles have a lot to play for. One of their greatest ever players, one of their greatest ever forwards. Dare I say, big call, their greatest ever forward. Last home game before he retires. Terrible season. Chance to put gap between them and North Melbourne to make sure they don't finish with the wooden spoon, the Eagles, even if they may need that number one draft pick. And the Crows, too much distraction off field at the moment. And let's be real. With the exception of the game last week, the Crows in the second half of the year, once again, disappointing. I'm tipping the Eagles in a massive upset by 10 points. Kennedy to be the hero to kick five goals in his last home appearance at Optus Stadium. In terms of the game that I am most looking forward to, I'm going to Melbourne versus Collingwood. That's second versus third. I'm hoping that it lives up to the expectations. Um, unlike the last time that Melbourne hosted uh, or played at the MCG, excuse me, against another top 14. That was against Brisbane in round 15 to kick off that round. That was disappointing. Hopefully it's a good game. Going to that game with Melbourne and Collingwood supporting friends. Uh, so it's going to be interesting afterwards, <laughs> no matter what. Um, in terms of the biggest blowout, um, I'm thinking, and again, I, sh- I should not be saying this. I should not be saying this as an SMS reporter. I should not be saying this, but knock on wood, I am tipping the Bombers to obliterate the Giants, obliterate, eviscerate, mandate, all the eights. I'm tipping the Bombers to win comfortably. And if we lose, then I am going to cry for 10 days straight. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this solo episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Oh, Before I go, though, there was one other stat which I learned during the week, which is interesting. Riley Beveridge brought this up in his uh, Round So Far segment with Kane Corns on Saturday night. The jumper that Fremantle wore, which was their heritage round jumper, the 3D anchor, which they used to wear as an away jumper. Riley did some digging, and he found out that the last three games before Friday night that they wore that jumper, Fremantle lost by all of them by over 10 goals, including one by over 100 points to the Brisbane Lions. So, hey, football clubs, right? I said last week, 
why you would choose that jumper, I don't know, when it was one of arguably your least successful period when you wore that. And now this stat has only reaffirmed to me the fact that football clubs need to do their research before choosing their heritage jumpers. Let Fremantle be a warning to everyone, all the other 17 clubs, okay? Don't do what Dockers. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Batter podcast. Join me and hopefully a co-host next week, maybe, who knows, as we review what will be a big round 21 and what should be an even bigger round 22 as the most unpredictable season in ages reaches its conclusion. Until then, merci beaucoup.